Welcome, listeners, to Let's Talk America Radio. Of course, here we put the spotlight on the real issues for real people. And on this particular episode, we are talking about nutrition and dieting for real people. We've all seen the myths and we've all heard of the urban tales out there of people dropping 100 pounds, keeping it off. But is it realistic? Is it attainable for most people, the average person that, after all, wants to still enjoy their food, but recognizing there has to be a commitment and discipline there? Well, of course, I am no expert, but we seek the best and the brightest, and I'm so honored right now to have someone on with us whose name is out there, certainly, and she's a registered dietitian and nutritionist. I'm talking about Nicolette Pace. Nicolette, welcome to Let's Talk America Radio. Thank you, Shana. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, so excited to have you on. Um, tonight we're going to have a brief conversation, but I think it's one that's impactful, so I am going to encourage everyone listening to this particular episode to get your mental notes or written notes or however you take notes on your cell phone ready because we've got the best here with us. Let's open up. It is right now going into February 2021, Nicolette, and so many of us had these ideas and these goals coming off of a rough year of 2020 saying, okay, my weight, I've got to get it under control, whatever else, dynamic are out there, A1C, blood pressure, and often people say, well, food has some impact with it. Um, but many have fallen off the wagon by now. By Valentine's Day, many people are saying, forget it, I'll start over next year. Uh, help us out. Why is it so difficult for us as human beings, and I think this is something that transcends all cultures and all nations, um, for us to really get a grip on a healthy, balanced diet? Why the difficulty? And, and after all, did our ancestors struggle with this? No, it <laughs> didn't really. I mean, there was other conditions that, you know, struck people. I mean, it was, a, you know, Western medicine really wasn't aware of that. But, you know, you had infections, you had other kind of issues. But um, our lifestyle is just not in tune with taking care of ourselves. Um, and uh, as you mentioned, this past year, you know, it was um, another really very upsetting. Uh, some people were becoming unfamiliar with having to prepare their own food because they're used to going out to dinner, et cetera. Um, also getting a cabin fever being in the house. And when this holiday season came along, it just became a further, a further reason to say, oh, just let's forget it right now because I do need to relax and I'm, I'm pretty stressed. Um, I also like what you were saying about, yeah, and I always said, as we're gearing up into, let's say, Valentine's Day, you know, well, out come all the chocolates. I mean, it's, we're not, and there's no really sign of anything really lighting up as yet. Um, so it has been very, very difficult for people to provide them self-care for themselves. Um, there's some really good things that people can do and they can stop uh, fighting with food and thinking it's, a, uh, you know, it's bad to do, these are bad to eat, and bad food's good food, that kind of thing. I'm not a fan of that kind of um, self-talk. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so I love it because we're talking to a real-life nutritionist and dietitian that gets it. Um, so, and, and I'm going to make this assumption based off what you just said. You're not into, or would you encourage people to vilify food? Because there's so many diet plans out there, and I don't want to pick on any. Um, but, you know, they're out there from the keto. I mean, they're, they're all over the place. The egg diet, I've heard of, of, of this type of diet as well, where certain foods are vilified or certain ones are really uplifted. Um, as a nutritionist, and and obviously you've worked with and, and seen the research on the different disease types and how food impacts that. Do you believe it's a good idea to really make uh, 
certain foods the enemy when we go throughout our day and after all we a lot majority of Americans are working um, they have obligations they have responsibilities of kids of caring for other family members and you know just as well as I do Nicolette that it's sometimes easier to stop by the fast food right um, or order it on the the many different outlets to order food um, because it helps us manage the stress in our day-to-day activities well, yeah, we're, you're absolutely correct. I totally agree with you. Um, we should not be uh, labeling foods as bad. It's unnatural. Foods are here on this planet, and we cultivate them and do what we do for a very specific reason. They all have tremendous amount of nutrients. They're not only nutritive, but they help you sustain life. Uh, the only food I would actually label as bad are foods that aren't bad at all, but they're made in the laboratory. So that's not considered a food in my book. Now, we really watch some of these uh, chemically prepared foods that have way too much uh, stuff in there. I, uh, I kind of coined the term called dirty food, and I give a quick tip. All you got to do is turn around that ingredient label, and if you've got five or more ingredients, chances are it may be a dirty food, especially with, oh, wow. you know, three and four syllables. Three and four syllables, <laughs> you can't pronounce it. What is it? <laughs> wow. I mean, and you make a good point. So, so you're, you're really promoting to avoid as much as possible processed foods, but foods that are not wholesome, they're, they're not in a natural state, they're mixed right. in with other right. things. I would imagine um, more, more than likely packaged, right? Uh, yeah, that could be definitely the case. But some of the other things that are just purely chemicals, it, it's so, it doesn't resemble, uh, you know, I, I have a big thing with non-nutritive sweeteners. They have a use, but it, it's got to be just in a very small uh, particular way. So, it's, you know, it's kind of like a chemically produced food. And um, well, there's some evidence with that. Well, actually, if you look at it, some of them are 600 times sweeter than sugar, which oh, wow. uh, is, is yeah, really quite good. But what happens is it does raise your taste threshold, but it does not provide any real calorie energy. So you end up um, getting hungry or just jumping for bread or cakes or et cetera, et cetera, later. So I've seen uh, many a, a person or patient with diabetes avoiding sugar, and then yet they're, they're eating, you know, pizzas and heroes and everything else under the sun. And wow. sometimes the, the refined starches are even more, um, what do you call it, blood sugar raising than, than, than other foods and stuff. Well, you are really listening to Stop vilifying the food. It's not the end. <laughs> and if we do get it right, you're listening to Let's Talk America Radio. We are putting the spotlight on nutrition and healthy eating with the one and only registered dietitian and nutritionist out of New York, Nicolette Pace. Nicolette, that, that brings me to something when you were talking about artificial sweeteners, and I don't want to um, really pick on any particular food group, but I do want you and I to really highlight important information that will allow all listeners and as many community members as possible to be there healthiest version. Let's talk about diet drinks out there, the diet sodas, right? Um, I have family and friends have gotten the diagnosis. A1C has creeped up. Um, they get that diagnosis officially through the blood work or lab work that they're diabetic. The first thing many of them do, and I can't say that an internist or a nutritionist or dietitian told them this, but they will give up regular sodas, right? They're saying, I'm good. I'm doing going for the diet. But I'm thinking, based on what you just said about the artificial sweeteners and how some of them may have the effect of making you hungrier and then you tend to go the bad foods that really aren't good, especially for diabetics, foods heavy in carbs. Um, is that the case for diet drinks or diet sodas? Do you recommend that? No, no. If it, if anything, with my bariatric patients, um, we use some of these uh, foods that have been fashioned as a therapeutic way to facilitate something significant like a weight loss surgery and or uh, maybe provide an, uh, an immediate or quick, quick correction to something that's been kind of getting out of hand. 
And uh, diabetes is nothing, nothing something to take lightly. It really should not be a do-it-yourself. You need somebody really qualified who knows what they're talking about. And, um, you know, not to say physicians are physicians, but somebody who yes. really understands what's going on. Yes. Wow, great point. And, and for all those, I just want to highlight again, she was saying diabetes is something to be taken serious. And obviously there's so many millions of Americans now, Nicolette, you know this better than I do, who have been diagnosed with diabetes or, or uh, pre-diabetes, um, who, you know, maybe we hear it so much now because of family and friends and colleagues, we don't take it serious. But, I mean, and I'm talking to a nutritionist, there's some serious um, aftermath effects of diabetes if it's not controlled and if the food and the diet is not not horned in, right? If so, can you explain what that is? Because I often right. think as people, as people, we need to know the why behind it. We do. Um, and really famous phrase, uh, you control it or it will control you. And it's insidious. It will creep up. People don't realize there's a major connection with, with cognitive issues or your brain not working properly. Another interesting thing to realize, and um, this is like an on, I, I pick out all these Unheard of things, because I'm a big research uh, fanatic. There's more type 2 diabetes actually diagnosed in the spring than any other time of the year. And some of that has to do with what's going on with the body over the cold months. And then, of course, you compound that with, um, you know, binging and the holiday stuff. So you'll find that there's a, a surge in that as soon as the spring comes along. Very interesting. Wow, that's interesting to note. Okay, I'm continuing the conversation with diabetes and pre-diabetics, which, of course, very plentiful here, especially in the U.S., other nations as well, but you and I here in the U.S. Let's talk about the famous diet plans where they are saying eliminate or drastically decrease carbs. Um, it's not a new concept that we've heard it, and I'm not picking on it, but keto is one that's very popular, the different versions of the keto diet. Let me be clear, and I know you as a nutritionist will explain that much better than I will, but talk to us about that how realistic how practical and long term is it I'm, I've seen people stick with it and some continue to keep off the unwanted weight um, but I have known over a dozen individuals and I'm sure you have as well who I tried it they lost quick weight and then the weight came back and for some individuals I saw it come back double um, so I have some doubts of how long term it can be however but I know others who practice more discipline who have seemed to have kept it off what's the secret and any legitimacy to it um, I believe you've got to look at the underlying things. You've got to look at how much sleep you're actually getting. You've got to look if there's any underlying clinical things. Many people have undiagnosed sleep apnea, which means they're not, they're not getting proper oxygenation as they're sleeping. And in doing so, that actually has a kickback during the day because your, your brain is not rested. You're not getting the restorative sleep that you need because you're being interrupted um, over the course of the evening with sleep apnea. And in doing so, the craving for carbohydrates is much higher. Just very interesting things. This is how the body works. Uh, people having difficulty reading food labels. Um, I always try to advise um, doing a journal where writing down the time you're eating because this way it will mimic closer to what your schedule is. And uh, I also like to say we're no longer a 9 to 5 society any longer. We're opposite. We're 5 a.m. to 9 p.m. So we're going around the clock, you know. And um, got to get a handle on when you're eating and, and what's going on. So uh, you have to have your first meal within four hours maximum after you wake up. Um, okay. And then I would kind of run a meal around a, around a four-hour interval with maybe putting in a spacer meal midday if you know you're going to have a later dinner. But you have to gain awareness of that because what's happening is your hunger is taking over, and then you are caught kind of off guard. Uh, all you have to do is smell something, 
and forget it. It's, I'm hungry. And then we, we make the wrong choices because we're hungry. We've got to really we gotta nurture our bodies. I'm laughing because, of course, <laughs> we've all been there where it's like, I'm going to be good, I'm going to be good, and, and then something tends to happen and it's all thrown off <laughs> um, with it. But thank you, such great information. Uh, you mentioned the S word, sleep. And I, and I think when we think of so many diet plans that are out there and we think of nutrition and dietitian, um, for many that are in the non-medical arena, which is majority of us, we're shocked to hear a registered dietitian and nutritionist say, um, but don't forget the sleep word. And so sleep and food, there is a connection connection, huh? Absolutely. Your body's not rested. You're going to be hungrier. If you have an underlying, as I said, like a, a, you know, sleep apnea or something, it has a major toll. And, um, and it is, it's really, frankly, quite unusual. It's been commented on many times. It's because of my tenure in the field and all the other credentials I've amassed, yeah. plus being a professor at two universities and mentoring many, many, um, you know, people in the, in the health field. Uh, it's, it's really... And uh, the best thing is getting the correct message out there. Can't thank you enough for having me on. I'm um, very, very happy to want to publicize it because uh, you're, you're kind of fighting with some kind of a catchy thing that somebody reads somewhere in a magazine, and it's it's not going to work, and it's also going to make them feel uh, dejected or even like a failure. And then, of course, yeah. you're going to abandon it because it's like, oh, well, Good you know, point. that kind of thing. Yeah, good point, and thank you as a registered dietitian and nutritionist, Nicolette, bringing up the psychological part of it because um, we all have a relationship with food, right? If it's one way or the other, if it's a healthy one, if it's an unhealthy one, or it's one that's really, really uh, putting in the, the high-drive mode, it is, and I think so many women and men who have tried and looked at themselves in the mirror or have had physicians or dietitians and nutritionists say, you really need to shed the pounds, and they keep trying, and they're saying, okay, that didn't work, and I think psychologically that takes a toll. I want to go back to the keto diet, and obviously, you know, being educated in this and your research much more than we do, but can you, in a layman's terms, explain what, how exactly does the keto diet work? I mean, how come we see people seemingly drop 15 and 20 pounds in a matter of months? I mean, how does that work, and does it work for everyone else, or is it certain body types, or does it work better for certain genders? Well, because of the, um, the results that it has when you're actually following it, and people get very frustrated. Uh, it's, a, it's a metabolic effect of taking advantage of something that we have in our bodies as a protective, um, a, um, protective mechanism against starvation. So the body is able to use fat as a fuel source, and this is the way we're built. It was, it was meant to, you know, sustain us if we had no food going on. But now we're kind of we're, we're cultivating it and we're, we're turning it into something. I, I like the foods that are included with the paleo diet. I have nothing against them. They're mostly whole foods. Mimics a little bit about the paleo, but it's because it ends up becoming ritualistic. The products that are now catering and saying keto-friendly, look at the prices on them. So it's, it's like, and, and, and still what people are not getting is you don't have to spend that much time, you know, um, maybe even looking at a portion size or um, just putting a little thought into yourself. And it's your body. It's not, you know, my body or it's that person's body. And you, you have to be able to um, put yourself on the list and, you know, put some proper care together. It's not yeah, that hard to yeah. do. It really isn't. Wow, thank you. I mean, and, and you're simplifying it, but um, you're right. You're saying it's your body, and we have to really fight for our body and 
stick to it. As we wrap up this conversation, Nicolette, about nutrition and dieting here in the United States, are there any quick tips you would encourage all of us to do? Because I'm sure as a nutritionist, you've, you've spoken with so many people who have, have been up and down, up and down, and they're really tired of losing the 10 pounds, gaining it back up, back and forth. And as it relates to COVID-19, which is obviously a very serious virus in this country, one of the, the things that I've come across is saying, you know, if you're obese, if there's a necessary weight, sometimes that perhaps could complicate um, someone's recovery with it. So we know that the weight is clearly an issue and, and dealing with other disease states as well. Clearly it's not just COVID-19. But any quick tips to help us really successfully get on the road of success and, and stay there? Um, after we put ourselves probably into the mix once and for all, finally, hopefully, you've got to get a handle on what I call the body clock. You're going to be hungry at certain intervals. Now, it's based on normal physiology. Food will stay in, the, in the, your stomach roughly two to four hours. After that, it goes through your digestive tract, so that's another six to eight. So theoretically, you should be having a meal pretty much every four to six hours. So that kind of transcends this whole belief, like stop eating after eight o'clock. There's nothing wrong with eating after eight o'clock. I do suggest you cut off eating within three hours of bedtime, but this is also translatable into multiple professions especially now being a 24-7 society, what happens to the people who work overnight? Uh, to 2 o'clock in the morning could very well be their lunch. So that's that. And um, just put a little effort into uh, taking a look at what you're actually eating. Um, the old carpenter's term is measure twice, cut once. So people get so intimidated when you're talking about portions. Uh, all you got to do is one time. You take your favorite cereal bowl, your favorite ladle or pot spoon or whatever it is, and see how much it actually holds. Once wow. you know that, you, can, you don't have to stop measuring and transferring food. I mean, that becomes like a, a nuisance and another uh, barrier to like, doing something. So we make it way too complicated, and then we get overly strict and disciplined, and we haven't really gotten the basic simple, simple stuff down. So definitely eating clock, body clock, and um, just take a look at some of the portions, and don't be afraid uh, about looking at the label. The front of the box is a, a marketing technique. It's the back of the box that has all the information. Yeah, such great point. And, and you're saying cut it in half, which goes back into portion control, right? <laughs> Not vilify the food, but uh, you, there's, like I'm sure you would say there's nothing wrong with a slice of cake, but by the fifth slice on Thanksgiving, that may be a problem <laughs> at this point. Um, <laughs> I, I have to ask you, <laughs> I've got to ask you this, Nicolette, before you leave us, and you were talking about pay attention to your body, the timing and hunger. Um, there has there's always been this notion of fasting that's out there, right? And, and I've had, seen research where they're saying our ancestors or thousands of years ago, it would, they ate between certain times of food, and some of that was for survival and necessity, as we can all conclude. Um, what is your professional take on some of, you know, you've seen the, the 16, 8, those diets that, you know, sort of recommend eating between certain time frames. Does that work? Because I've seen there's been research saying it can help with some fasting blood sugar for those that are pre-diabetic or diabetic. Well, I, I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier. Everybody's going to be individualized because they have different, um, you know, livelihoods, et cetera. But I, I really uh, stop eating at least three hours before bed. People are eating all the way up to bedtime. What happens is the body doesn't rest. It's, it's not going to be burned off, so it's going to get, end up getting stored into the body as fat. Plus, believe it or not, you're, you're not at rest because your digestive system is still working. So there's no real – I haven't really – and after 75,000 patients I've treated at least, I, uh, this, these methods that I have put forth for over the uh, decades now, 
they work. They work really well. And doctors used to say, what are you doing to your patients? And how come they've, they've gotten 85 pounds off and they haven't put it back? I said, well, I talk to them. Yeah. <laughs> Frankly, I sit there, I listen, and I talk to them, and I make it work for them. And that's, it doesn't take that, it's not that complicated. So I'm really good to share some of these things with, with, uh, with you. Very nice. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Nicolette Pace, registered dietitian and nutritionist out of New York. So happy you're with us on Let's Talk America Radio. I am Shana Thorne, on-air host and executive producer. Before you leave us, such great tips. I know our listeners want to connect with you. Um, where can they go for additional information to follow you um, and just gain more knowledge overall about their health and what they're putting inside of their bodies? Um, the website is www.nutrisource.org, and there you'll find recipes, tips, tools, a lot of in-depth segments of what I've done for radio and television over the years, and it's straightforward. Uh, it's not a sales technique. It's you know strictly because I uh, really care about public health, and I'm um, continue to do it because it helps awesome. people. And that's what I'm about. Oh, and it shows through your passion and your wisdom and uh, helping us become the best versions of ourselves. Everyone, thank you for watching and listening, rather, to this episode of Let's Talk America Radio. We encourage you to share this episode or share information in it with others so they can be the best version of themselves as well. Thanks for listening and stay tuned in. For additional information, visit LTARadio.com, LTARadio.com, or connect with us on social media on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram at LTA. Radio. Take care and stay safe. Thank you. Bye bye now.